Father in heaven, thank you that we can sing about belief. And belief in not just intangibles, but in the reality of the resurrection and of the person of Jesus Christ and of God the Father and of the Holy Spirit. That our faith is rooted in reality and our faith is rooted in revelation and our faith is rooted in truth. So thank you as we gather this morning. We pray that our worship would continue to honor you and that your word through your spirit would grant us a place in your heart as it imparts into our hearts. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, nice to have you here on March break. Right? Do you get an extra um, benefit? Like, do you get an extra crown in heaven for being here on March break? Is that, is that how it works or anything? Yeah, yeah, you already go. You know what you know what I'm talking about, right? Hey, good to have you here, um, Bruna. I'm going to steal your. Can I borrow this, um, Bruna? And uh, forgive me if I forget to put it back. Okay. All right. Sorry about that, but anyway, I'll I'll try to remember to put it back. Um, okay, we're we're in the we're in the last part of our series, uh, the M factor, and we and we're talking about uh, we're closing out the series today. We're talking about Monday, money. Uh, thanks, Matt, for taking care of last week for me. But we're, we're talking about money, and what we said about money is the money factor is this: is that money has the potential to sever your relationship with God, or money has the potential to drive a wedge in your relationship with God. Um, but you know, we're gonna, we're going to talk a little bit about conversely. Um, what can also happen is that money can become a vehicle for you to grow spiritually. Do you believe that? Amen. Well, let's hope so. Right? Okay. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of set the tone for this particular message in a way that you're probably not expecting. I'm, I'm going to insult some of you to begin with. That's, that's what I'm going to... Okay, so I'm, I'm going to say this statement. Some of you are going to be insulted. Please, please uh, kind of track with me because I'm going to hopefully redeem myself in a minute. Okay, so here's, here's the statement I'm going to make because, because... And I'm making this statement because I want to set the tone for this particular message. But here's the statement I'm going to make. There was, there was a time in my life where I thought um, uh, photography for the sake of art was a bit of a joke. Okay? Does that not offend all of you? Okay. Alright. For some of you that's really offensive, right? Because um, photography is not easy. Right? It wasn't until I had a younger son that, that became a professional photographer that I realized there was a lot to it. Um, you know, like framing and color and contrast and, and, and getting the picture just right so, and all that kind of stuff. In fact, I remember, I remember sitting with my son this one time and he could tell me all this stuff about the photographer just looking at the picture. He could tell that, you know, the guy had a good eye, knew how to, you know, deal with the light, deal with the contrast, you know, deal with the focus and, and all that kind of, what kind of filter he was using, all that kind of stuff. It was, it was really amazing. And I, because I used to think, oh, you know, you just point the camera, it's all technology. Like, what difference does it make? But boy, I was wrong. So that's, that, was, that, was, that was my ignorance and I've, and I've learned a lot. Now, the reason I bring that up is because if, if you're an artist, if you're a person with photography and all that stuff, you know what it takes to get a really good snapshot, right? Snapshot's really important. And, and when you get a really good picture, it tells you a lot, doesn't it? 
Okay? And the concept I want, I want us to sort of sit with this morning is this concept of, of a snapshot. Because a snapshot is really important. Because the text we're going to look at today is a snapshot. A very important snapshot. It's a snapshot that was taken by one of the apostles, uh, Luke, in the book of Acts. And this snapshot is, is, is he gives us this picture, this overall beautiful picture of the early church. And this snapshot is really important because we can see a lot of the early church and what made it so powerful in the first century from this little snapshot. I I think when a lot of people say, I I wish we were more like the early church, I think this is the kind of thing or the picture or the snapshot that people are, are talking about because it's a very powerful snapshot. And I think Luke intentionally gave us this snapshot. So we learn about the early church and how we can um, maybe look at our own church and say, do we match this snapshot? Do we um, give a picture to the community around us this kind of, uh, you know, is this what they're able to see when they're looking at the snapshot of our particular church? And I think it's really, really important that Luke framed it in this particular way. So, um, we're going to look at Acts 4. Here's the passage that we're going to look. And, and again, this is a real, a real snapshot of the early church. And this is what Luke writes. He writes, All the believers were united in heart and mind, in one heart and mind. And they felt that they that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There was no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Now, That's a powerful snapshot, isn't it? If you are within 100 miles of this church, you're going to hear about it, aren't you? (laughs) Right? It's a powerful, powerful snapshot. Here's here's two things that, that come out of this particular snapshot that you grab right away. And the first thing is this. There's a unity of community and message. A unity of community and message. They were of one heart and mind. This is, you know, in, in literary terms, this is called amerism. You know, you know, personally, community, everything, um, they were all one, no matter what, what it was all about. Um, you've probably heard the Greek term kinonia. Um, it's, it's the Greek word for fellowship. You know, it's a, fellowship's a Christian term. If I could say that, you don't hear fellowship at work or in, in the office or at school. It's not a particular term that people use a lot. Uh, it's a Christian term. But, but the Greek term is, is like common, sharing, together, um, community. Those kinds of words is where kinonia comes from, right? And it's a bond that these people have together. So it's, 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 a powerful, it's a powerful gathering word for the people of God. And, and it's very intentional. Very, very intentional. 
The second thing, the second thing is the message. Uh, you know, I, 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 love, I love the way that Luke condenses, you know, the entire message of the Bible into this one idea of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is, is like the, the pinnacle, the hallmark of the Christian faith. Right? We're coming into Easter very soon, right? Next week we start our Easter, Easter series. And it's all about, you know, the cross and the resurrection, right? It's all about coming to this place where Jesus rose from the dead. That, 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 that's what makes us unique as Christians to any other faith, to any other philosophy, to any other theology in, in the world. That we are the people who celebrate a risen Lord who is alive today. And that, and, and that, is, that is the power of the message that we own as Christians. And because we own that message of the resurrection, we have that promise ourselves of the resurrection. That those who have gone before us, who have gone before us in faith, we know they will rise again from the dead into glory with the Lord Jesus. Like, there is, you know, death for a believer is, is the door into life everlasting. Is the door into the resurrection. And, and that's, that's a powerful message. It's a powerful message that, that is central to the Christian faith. And is very important. And this is what Luke reminds this community that's come together as one people in heart and mind, body and soul, in this message of the resurrection. But, you know, on, on the ground, beyond, beyond the, the, you know, the theological premise and, and, and the, the, the community uh, presence, Luke illustrates this particular church with, with the second thing of generosity. Like, it's amazing to me. You read, how many of you got uncomfortable when you read this? Right away, I ain't selling my house for you. See, I can say it. Are you afraid to say it? I'm not selling my house for you. Uh, would you sell your house for me? Like <laughs> yeah, take over your mortgage maybe and, and let you live in it. Right? Okay, very, very uncomfortable. Isn't that, isn't that just a whole mindset we can't get into, right? It's a whole different world. But what, what Luke gives us a snapshot of is this incredible generosity that this church has. That, that the community of believers in the early church, they're selling everything for people to be together as one. This great thing about generosity. Okay, we're not going to deal with, with the whole guilt of we're selling our houses or we're giving away or anything like that. But certainly, certainly, can, can we at least agree on, the, on this level? Let's, can we agree on this level? Our level of generosity could be elevated somewhat. Can we say that at least? That in our, in our culture, in our society, our level of generosity, there is somebody, there are people around us, there, there are individuals, there are family members, you name it, there's all kinds of people who would benefit if we were a little bit more generous. Can we say at least that? Okay? Now, you know, some of you, I know, are already extremely generous. Okay? Um, 
I, I wish, you know, I, I wish I could stand up here and tell you in the last couple of weeks um, the things I know of people in this congregation and what you've done for somebody else. You know, because A, I don't want to embarrass you publicly. And, and, and B, we don't have the time to tell all the stories. But some of you here have been incredibly, incredibly generous. And it's made the difference in somebody else's life. And thank you for that. How many of us, how many of us have benefited from the generosity of someone else? At a time, at a moment where we needed it the most. Generosity is a hallmark of the Christian faith. And we all know, we all know that at some level, someone is going to benefit because of our generosity. Right? Okay? Here's, here are the three, you know, and I, you know, I, I, I entitled this passage lavish because to me that was a word that, that describes best, you know, up the snapshot here. That, that the generosity is, is lavish. It's, it's like poured out in, in a way that's unrestricting. Um, so there's, there's three every areas that, that I love about this snapshot that illustrate lavish generosity. Number one is spiritually. Because when we talk about the resurrection, when we talk about what Christ has done for us, his death, his burial, his resurrection, the deep love of God, the lavishness of God's care and love and mercy and compassion and, and, and extending and, and dying for our sins. Like, all, you know, you gotta, you gotta wrestle with that at some level. That is incredible, incredible, lavish love of God upon us. You can't miss that. Incredibly lavish. You know, when, when we think of, a, of something in power, holding something over top of us, you know, can make us do whatever He wants or it wants. But to think that Christ died for us. That's incredible and it's lavish and it's something that each and every day I'm thankful for of the grace of God. And the lavishness of that love of God is something that's not lost in this snapshot as the people are expressing their love for each other because of the love that has been poured out by God upon them. So spiritually, it's a big one. Secondly, is community. Like this is, in, in community, this is the obvious one, right? Because God has lavish loved on me, I lavish love to other people. Because, you, you, you know, People need to be cared for. People need to know that they're loved. That generosity. And we're not just talking about... Okay, the passage focuses on money because often money becomes the best representation of our lavish generosity. But time, you know, effort, service, uh, care, encouragement, all those things become so important as you lavish that out to other communities. That, that, is, that is the hallmark of a Christian church is this lavish generosity that is poured out in every aspect of our lives. 
For those that, that can financially manage it, great. For those that, that do it because of time, great. Those that do it because, because they, they've got this act of service, this gift to do it in, in other ways, that is great. But that is like, that is like you know, the beautiful snapshot that Luke gives us of the church here, being the very best it can be in every aspect of life. And the third thing is this is personal. You know, personally, people are saying, how can I be lavish? What is it that, that God has given me that I can be lavish to another person and make a difference in their life? Spiritually, community, and personally, you know, um, it's a great snapshot. It's a threatening snapshot, but it's a great snapshot. Right? Here, um, talking about the personal thing, I, I, I want to go into the next little bit of this passage because I didn't give you all the snapshot. Here's how Luke ends the snapshot. He goes, for instance, I love that, for instance, here's, here's someone that's demonstrating all these things. There was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas. How many of you even knew Barnabas had a real name? I do that test in my class all the time. I say, how many Josephs are there in the New Testament? And students always go, oh, there's Joseph in the Old Testament, you know. There's Joseph, the, 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 the daddy of Jesus, and, you know, and all that stuff. But, and I go, how many of you knew that Barnabas' name was Joseph? Very few people know that. This is the only place that it's mentioned. Because every other time you hear of Barnabas... Right? You, you hear his nickname. You don't even hear his real name. And we're going we're gonna to get to that in a minute, okay? He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold the field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Now in the text it talks about bringing the money to the feet of the apostles and laying it there. It was an act of surrender, an act of respect, an act of, you know, saying... All I have is yours and you as the apostles are responsible for distributing this as you see fit and I surrender that money to you. Can you imagine can you imagine being part of a church like this? No, okay. Now I'll tell you is it any one of the early church grew to the degree it did when they loved each other to this degree. To this degree. You know, Barnabas, um, it says that he was a Levi. Um, he was, uh, uh, I think he was, he's a wealthy man from Cyprus. He was the uncle of John Mark. His mother was Mary, one of the women in Jerusalem that the, that the disciples used to meet in. Um, so he's, he's a significant person. They also believe that probably in Cyprus, he was the one in charge of the Jewish synagogue in Cyprus because of the way that he's characterized in this, in this kind of thing. So he's, a, he's an important guy. He's a very, very important guy. And he, and he believes, he believes that the church is so important, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is so important, to take care of others in the church is so important, that he's given as an example here of selling something and giving it wholesale to the church. Amazing. Amazing. Here's why generosity is so important. Okay? 
this is why it matters. We, you know, we talk about generosity all the time, but it is absolutely a hallmark of the Christian faith. It is absolutely a hallmark. And it's, it's, it's one of the powerful things that's used to demonstrate the gospel in the life of people. Um, number one is this. It promotes unity. Generosity promotes unity. I don't think it's insignificant um, that Luke illustrates the cohesive power of, of generosity to the church. When everyone is being, when the church is a generous church, it brings people together. People want to be part of it. People see that the gospel is alive and well um, when people are being generous. Um, when people invest in the church, you know, it's important to take it seriously. It's responsible. If you, you know, if you're on the fringe of the church, you don't, you don't give and anything happens, you don't care. There's something about being generous to something you believe in that keeps you attached and keeps you there and makes you part of, you know, whatever is happening. And, you, and there's an ownership to it. Unity, generosity brings ownership and brings unity. It's absolutely important for a church to see that. But if you're not invested, anything can happen. And there's something about being generous to the thing that you believe in, to the place that you're a part of, to the community that you belong in, that helps you become invested. And it brings unity. The deeper you're invested, the deeper unity happens. Alright? Secondly, it's contagious. It's absolutely contagious. Have you ever, you know, when, when, when generosity is happening, right? Okay. Here's, here's what happens. Why generosity is contagious. When you see people around you being generous and when you see things happening in the church, you know what it does to you? It takes away the biggest fear you potentially have. Right? Can we be honest about that? Being generous elevates for most of us a level of fear. Right? What about my needs? What about, you know? But when you see everybody else being generous, it takes away the primary fear that you have. And you're saying, you know, it's okay. Because they're investing, that means it's okay if I invest. Right? The, 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 general, you know, the general fear that happens in the church is that, is, that, is that fear alone. And when you're seeing everybody being generous, when you can stand up here and, and you can say, you know what, in the last couple of weeks, if you knew this, if you, you know, Right? We've, we've had youth come into the church and, and, and give money like in the hundreds. Right? And you know what, it, you know what that tells you when, when that happens in the church? You, you, know, you know the next Sunday and I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm playing in my pocket going, yeah, I need to release this because guess what happened this week? And it takes that fear element away. I think, it's, I think that's why it becomes so, so, so positive that generosity happens. And generosity begets generosity. That's, that's, that's the truth of it. Because when you see one person being generous, it automatically you know, raises the question inside of you is why am I not being generous. Okay? Here's number three. Some of you may not realize this, but it's the new evangelism. In our day and age, money has become the new evangelism, not the gospel. Right? It, or, or it's a pre-evangelism. It's what people 
see in us because money is such an important part of our culture and our society and such a guarded thing in our society that when they see a church that is generous, they say, wow, those people must believe so much in their God, in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that look what they're willing to give up. Because it's not as important as what it is they believe and that's what attracts people. That's what captures people's hearts. And that's what makes people say, wow, the gospel must be real. The gospel must be authentic. It must be something. It's money in action. It's, you know, I've heard it said that money is God in action. Right? And I've, I've always been intrigued with that. That money is God in action. And isn't it interesting that Luke even mentions... Remember, remember a, a few weeks back, back we said, you know, one of the biggest things you're going to have to struggle with as a Christian is who owns it? Who owns it? Do you own what you have? Or do you believe what the Bible teaches that everything is God's, that you are just a manager of it. And notice what this passage said. This passage said everyone did not believe that it, what, they, what they had was theirs. And when you believe that everything you have is not yours, that it's, it's made and given to you by God, you are to manage it and you are to manage it to the benefit of others, how different does your life become? And see, because this church had this belief that it doesn't belong to us anyway, they were easy to release those things and help others who needed it. That's the different, you know, that's, that's such a mindset, that's such a different mindset that we have, that we need to kind of embrace. And this is what made the early church so powerful. It's, it's God in action. You see, if we're too busy judging other people, if we're too busy saying, uh, they don't deserve it, all this stuff, there's absolutely no room for love or compassion. That, that's what happens. You know, I don't know, we're probably not, you know, I, I don't know, you know, God knows how he wired us. But if we're busy judging people, it just pushes out any capacity to love or to have compassion for another person, doesn't it? Right? And, 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 and that's the push back that we have in our, in our culture, in our society. But there isn't this, this judgment. You know, I'm absolutely bothered by one thing that happens in the Bible and happens all the time, and, I'm, and I am bothered by it. It's very easy to say they don't deserve our help because blank, blank, blank. They haven't worked, don't have a job, you know, all that kind of stuff. Do you realize the Bible doesn't rationalize any of that? It just says give, help, be generous, all that stuff. We want to attach all this stuff to it. I'm not saying, you know, you know, the Bible pushes us towards generosity more so than any other element. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, and oftentimes we want to stop generosity because we've got all these reasons why we shouldn't be generous. But generosity has more to do with our heart than the people or the thing we are being generous towards. Do you, do you get that? Generosity has to do more 
with our heart than the target of our generosity. It'll always have more to do with that. Okay? And, you know, the, the, the space between a person's need and your particular gift is the, is, is the space of service, if you realize that. But the space between a person's need and your particular gifting or what you can give to them is the place of service. And, and that's where we live as believers, is between those two tensions. Okay, let me keep going. Uh, th- fourthly, it helps to build the kingdom of God. The kingdom, the kingdom of God is, is this other kingdom in, 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 in the world that, that, that is built on different principles, that is di- built on different priorities, that is built on generosity, that is built on a community, that is built on a faith in the resurrection. Uh, it, and, it, and it's different. It has different param- parameters. It has, it has different motivation. You know, we don't, you know, this is why we gather as community. And we don't gather as a community for the benefit of ourselves. We do it for the benefit of building the kingdom of God to the glory of God so that others can see the lavishness of God in their lives because we are experiencing the lavishness of God in our own lives. You guys tracking with me? That's why this is such a powerful picture of the early, early church. Here's the last thing. It breaks the cycle of greed. The only thing that breaks the cycle of greed is a heart of generosity. Once you let go of it, okay? And, and, and it breaks that, you know, our, our role is not ownership. Our role as believers is stewardship. Right? That's, that's what it is. It's not ownership. It's stewardship. That we are given the mandate to manage the resources that God has given us for His purposes. Now that, again, that, that's a tough sell, isn't it? In our world. That's a tough sell in our culture. You know? Um, because, because stuff can replace God. And that's what this passage teaches so beautifully. That here's a church that didn't allow stuff to become God. And the stuff got used for the glory of God. In the community of God. For the purpose of God. Okay? Now, now I'm going to go back to Barnabas. As I close this morning, here's, here's, you know, I'm, I've always been intrigued with the fact that Barnabas got this nickname, which was the son of encouragement. And we get this picture of this incredible man. And if you know anything about Barnabas, you know, he went with the Apostle Paul. Uh, he was the encouragement for the Apostle Paul and what Paul did and all that stuff. So I, I, I want to I ask you a couple of questions and uh, I have this in the life group stuff and I'm uh, going to have fun with it in, in your life group. What difference would it make in Village Green if we experienced generosity 
like this, what difference would it make? Would you want to be part of a community like this? What difference would it make? And secondly, I think it's so cool that Barnabas, he was so lavish as a person of encouragement, be it financially, spiritually, and community, all that kind of stuff, that we don't ever hear his name again other than the name Barnabas. Because everyone knew him by his nickname. I think that's awesome. So here's my question to you. If we suddenly said, we're going to give everybody in the church a nickname, what would yours be? Grumpy? Pain and... uh, um. What would yours be? Have some fun in life group and ask yourself that question. If you were given a nickname by the people in the church, what would yours be? And listen, I, I know it's all funny and everything, but I think it's a great exercise to kind of help you be very clear about what you personally bring to the community of faith. You, you with me on that? Okay, maybe next, maybe next week as, as we begin our Easter series, I'm going to ask you what, your, what nicknames you came up with. What do you think? Probably not, eh? <laughs> Everybody's shaking, shaking their head no. But listen, if someone, if someone, if someone was to take a snapshot of Village Green, would we be called generous? Would we be called a church that mirrored the snapshot that Luke gives us of the church here? See, a lot of people, there are two, there are two things, there are two things that, that allowed the early church to grow to the degree it did as quickly and as powerfully as, as it did. And the two things are this, and, and, and you need to understand this. Number one was the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, these were people absolutely committed to the power of the Holy Spirit. Secondly was their lavish generosity. That those two things worked in tandem to make the church powerful and the gospel attractive. Do we really want to be a church like the New Testament? If so, ask yourself, if somebody was to take a snapshot of Village Green, what would it look like? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this incredible snapshot from Luke. And the picture that it gives us of the early church And Lord, there's a lot of uncomfortable elements in it. People actually selling homes and and possessions in in order to take care of others. Uh, Lord, that, um, that certainly raises a level of uncomfortableness for many of us. But Lord, I think it's fair to say that even in our own context and our own society, and over the centuries, you desire your people to be people of generosity. 
And Lord, as we wrestle through that this week in our life groups and in other ways, I pray, Lord, that you would just touch hearts this morning and how they can exemplify this heart of generosity that we learned from this passage this morning. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.